0: From Parkway Church in Corona, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. Well, I want to pray um, as we begin, and uh, I want you to bow your heads with me, and let's just open our heart to the Word of God today. So, Father, we just thank you that we can connect in the beautiful sun today outdoors So grateful that we can gather in this capacity. I'm thankful, Lord, that your presence is here, that we can sense and feel your spirit moving. And I pray that as we turn to your word, Would you just grace us, God, by speaking to each and every one of us, regardless of who we are, regardless of our understanding of you, regardless of uh, the depth of relationship we have, would you speak to us, God, as I speak? Would you open our minds? Would you open our hearts? Would you open our ears, Lord? And I think of every person, Father God, that's either out in the field right now or tuning in online, God, or part of our community, and they're just going through something right now. Maybe it's a physical thing. God, maybe it's an emotional thing. God, regardless, Lord, you know. Just talking with someone this morning, Father, about how difficult it is to know when people are going through difficulties in a season like this. So I pray in the name of Jesus, would you just be God in those situations? Would you heal? Lord, I think of Jean Vernon right now, watching in the hospital room. Would you heal her right now in the name of Jesus? I think of Kathy, thankful God for the progress, but I know that you can do do more. Would you heal, Lord? We've already prayed for Carrie Hill's father, but we pray for him again, and her mother, and we ask in the name of Jesus for healing, God. For those who need reconciliation, God, would you reconcile? For those who need provision, would you provide? Lord, would you just show up and show your love and show your grace in the name of Jesus? We thank you again for your word. Thank you that we can open it freely. God, we can learn from it, God. And I pray that we're changed in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, I didn't hear you. Everybody said, there we go. You're awake. You're alive. You're here. So Mark chapter 6, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. Mark chapter 6. We're going to start at verse 45. We're looking at a very familiar story, and it's one of my favorite stories to kind of look at and pull some, pull some truths from. Um, and I want you to, just as we read this, I want you to kind of quiet your spirit and just ask God to speak to you. I can share, and I can speak, and I can, I can inform you of the things that were impressed on my heart as I kind of studied and went through this, but ultimately, you want, you want to hear from God and you want to hear him speak to your heart about what's going on in your life, and he can do that better than I can. So as I read this, just just really ask the Lord to speak to you as I read this. Mark chapter six, we're going to start at verse 45. It says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of them to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up to a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went, out to he went out to them walking on the water. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down, and they were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. You know, I think many of us have found ourselves in the middle of a situation that's kind of like this storm, and I hope you all know what we're talking about when we talk about storms, not just physical storms. Maybe you've been in a physical storm before. We all have, but those other kind of storms. Those. Those situational storms, those emotional storms, those situations we find ourselves in that we feel a little bit overwhelmed, we feel a little bit taxed, we feel like it, the pressure's coming in on us, emotional, psychological, relational. I can think, uh, I can think most of us can probably point to that time um, when it's been overwhelming. The, the, the most prevalent one that I think of in my life was probably when I was a teenager and my parents were going through a really messy separation and divorce. I was, I was probably about anywhere from 15, 14, 15, all the way to basically I was 20, went through this time of my life. And it was probably heightened at the time for me because my parents who raised me in faith, raised me in the church, were both failing and faltering in their own faith. And so what I grew up to believe and what I grew up to, to know, the, the people that were kind of setting the standard for that weren't even walking in it. And I kind of felt overwhelmed. I kind of felt like I was straining at the oars, pushing against the wind. You know, the problem with these storms that we get into, though, is too often we're trying to survive the storm instead of trying to think about what we can learn through the storm. And that's natural. It's natural when we find ourselves in a difficult situation. We just want to get through. But I often think that there's something that God wants to speak to us, something that he wants to teach us, something that we can learn about as we go through the storm. So I wanna look at this story today, and I wanna learn from the disciples and what they went through. Now a couple of things you need to know before, this, uh, before we really get into it, is in the book of Mark here, as, as Mark shares this passage about them going through this, this storm, and, and Jesus comes out walking on the lake. This was right after the, the, the scene where Jesus had just fed the 5,000. You may know the story. We talked about it a while back. Jesus takes five, uh, five loaves and two fish, and he blesses it, and he multiplies it, and he feeds thousands and thousands of people dinner. Right? They were hungry. The disciples are like, let's get them something to eat. You know? And he's like, you know, let's see let's what we got. He blesses it, it multiplies, and thousands are fed. Now, what I love about that is I love heaven's math. Heaven's math is you can take a little, God can bless it, and he can multiply it. So they feed them the, they feed them dinner, and then this scene happens. Now, what, what also we need to uh, I think is important and interesting to note is Mark's version of this story doesn't include Peter walking on the water. Many of you are probably familiar with that. You only read about that in Matthew's account. Now, I think Mark didn't include it because Mark was actually a disciple of Peter, and what he did is he took Peter's eyewitness accounts and he formulated into this narrative and i think i think peter was like mark don't include that part because i don't want anybody to know that i kind of you know faltered in my faith a little bit and started to slip into the to the water now john also doesn't include it but i think that john and mark had a little or john and peter had a little bit of a, a rivalry going on john is often talking about he, how he was the disciple that jesus loved and so i thought that Maybe John didn't want to include that part because he didn't want anybody focusing on Peter. He just wanted all the glory for himself. It's probably not true, but I thought about it. So this scene happens right after Jesus and the disciples just feed the the thousands. And the disciples are made, everybody say made, made by Jesus to get into the boat and go on ahead of him. Now we need to stop here because I think this is crucial to the story. They didn't go on their own. According to Mark, this wasn't their decision. It was a command from Jesus. Now, the word in the original Greek language, the word made, means to compel. And it has the idea behind it of being compelled with force. In some, in some areas of Scripture, when that word is used, it actually translates to force. So Jesus compels the disciples. He forces the disciples to get into the boat. So it's pretty clear that them getting into this boat and heading across the lake is not the disciples' idea. Now maybe they wanted to hang out with Jesus a little bit longer. You know, maybe they wanted to stay near the crowd. I'm not sure. But Jesus made them get into the boat and go on ahead of him. Now this is the interesting part that I need to pause and we need to look at. Jesus knew that they would face this kind of a storm. He's God incarnate. He has all wisdom. He knows all things. So making them get into this boat, making them go on ahead of him, he knew that they would face this storm. He knew that they would go through this difficulty. And the disciples are willing. Now here's the thing. They didn't know what they'd face, but they were obedient to Jesus. You know, following Jesus means walking in obedience to his commands, even when you don't know the outcome. Following Jesus means going where he calls us to go, doing what he commands us to do, even when we don't know what that will lead to or look like. Now it's evident as you look throughout the Gospels and you look out through the, through the, the book of Acts and through the remaining of the New Testament and even into church history that the disciples, that the disciples had a cost for following Jesus. It tells us in Matthew, Jesus actually tells us in Matthew chapter 14 to count the cost. But if you look throughout church history, all, most of the disciples, most of those twelve di- disciples, um, uh, met violent deaths on the account of following Jesus. Following Jesus means going where He calls, even unbeknown to the outcome. And so He makes them get into the boat. He makes them go on ahead of them, knowing that they're going to face a storm. Is anybody facing a storm? Does anybody find themselves in a situation that's difficult or overwhelming? Has anybody felt like that in this season? If you don't, here's the reality. You will face a storm in your life that you find overwhelming or challenging or difficult. But if Jesus knew that they would face the storm and he made them get through it, that means that he had a purpose and a plan for them to go through it. I think about that for a second. If Jesus knew that they were going to face that storm and know that they would go into it, then he had a plan and purpose for them to be there, which is kind of like a hard reality to accept sometimes, that when you face something difficult, God knows, but he has a plan for it. So later on that night, it says the boat is in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the lake. the, The Sea of Galilee at its shortest point was 13 kilometers wide. It says in John that the disciples had rowed three to four miles, five to six kilometers before Jesus showed up um, walking on the water. So they're in the middle of, of the lake. They're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. The, the distance through the storm, the remaining of the storm to the other side is the same distance um, uh, moving backwards. Sometimes we find ourselves in the middle of a storm. Sometimes we find ourselves in the middle and it's so heavy that what we do is we turn around and we give up and we go back home. Right, We find ourselves going through something challenging, and we throw in the towel. We give up. When we don't often realize that going through it is the same distance as going back out of it. They're in the middle of this storm. And what we don't read is the disciples turning around. We don't read of them going back. Now, I think they've probably thought about it. I think someone probably mentioned it. Hey, we should turn around. This is getting pretty heavy out here. The wind's picking up. Most of them knew the waters. Most of them knew this sea. Most of them were fishermen. So they understood how boats worked, how seas worked, how storms worked. They could read the sky, okay? I'm sure somebody thought, hey, listen, it's getting a little dark out here. Maybe we should turn around and go back to shore, But I wonder if somebody said, no, Jesus told us to go, so we're going to keep going. I wonder if someone stopped or they had a discussion that says, keep going because the Lord commanded us to go. And if he's called us to go into the storm, then he has a plan and purpose for us to go through that storm. You don't read of them turning around. Now, our tendency is to turn around. Our tendency is to say, it's not worth it. Let's go back. It's getting dark, it's getting cloudy, I, I feel the spit of the rain, the waves are getting a little shaky, let's turn around and go home. Now, I'm using the storm metaphorically here, hopefully you're tracking with me, right? We find ourselves into a difficult situation and we say, it's not worth it. Or when it comes to following Jesus, when it comes to following the commands of Jesus, we look at it and we say, it's not worth it. Oh, there goes my iPad. <laughs> Can somebody grab that for me? That'd be fantastic. Fantastic. Hopefully it's not broken. We find ourselves following Jesus say it's not worth it. Thank you. It's not worth giving up my time for Jesus. My time. It's not worth giving up that business deal even though it's a little shady. It's not worth giving up those relationships, those friendships. It's not worth losing the relationship to be faithful to what the scriptures say. It's not worth looking like a fool out at church on a lawn because people are going to think, man, what are those weirdos doing? Singing. We say it's not worth it, and so we turn around and go home. Now, you passed the test. You're here today, right? We say it's not worth it praying a little longer. It's not worth giving up my job, pulling my kids out of school, and moving to a new city because God asked me to go. We look at what the Lord asks us to do or what it means to follow the commands in the scriptures and we say it's not worth it. But you don't read the disciples saying that when when Jesus asked them to go through the storm. They're in the middle. And what awaited the disciples on the other end of this storm was incredible amount of ministry. It meant that people were going to get healed. Now imagine that they decided it wasn't worth. They're in the middle of this and they say it's not worth it. I wonder, I wonder if they would encounter the people that they encountered and if those people would receive healing. What if you going through your difficulty meant healing for somebody else on the other end? What, what, what about you going through what you're going through? The, the situations that you find yourself in taught you something, prepared you for what waited on the other end. But if we choose to say, it's not worth it, let's turn around and go back home. Even though the Lord told us to go, he didn't probably know that the skies were going to get dark. Let's turn around, go home, regroup. What if that meant for you and your situation that somebody didn't encounter Jesus, That somebody didn't meet Jesus. Somebody doesn't get salvation. Because we say it's not worth it. It's too difficult. We're already in the middle, but let's turn around and go back. So it says that they're straining at the oars because the wind is against them. Now here's something you need to know about the Sea of Galilee that they're on. Because of the mountains that surrounded the Sea of Galilee, the, the warm air would collide with the cold air. Um, creating storms all the time. It happened all the time. I remember uh, um, when I was, um, before I really began in ministry, I was in BC working with this organization that went and did uh, uh, motivational presentations on purpose and value in high schools, and we're in BC. Actually, I think I talked about this last time we were at outdoor service. We're in BC, and crazy story, we're, we're in the ocean, and we're whale watching in the ocean off the coast of BC. It was amazing, Crazy story how that happened. But the the swell of the waves was so high, it was six meters high, and we're in this, if you don't know what six meters is, we're told to be two meters apart, so times that by three. Six meters high, and we're in this oversized dinghy wearing these, like, jumpsuits that were apparently, like, life preservers in the entire suit. I literally thought I was going to die. I'm like holding on. I'm like, I don't care about the way, the whales. I don't care about what we're seeing. This is too crazy. Let's turn around and go home. So it says that they're straining at the oars. That word straining in the original language means to torture, it means pain. So, so as, they're, as they're going through this, this storm, they're struggling in pain. It was torture, it was too much to bear. The the Matthew's gospel tells us that they were buffeted. They are being hit violently. That's what that word means, buffeted, not buffets, right? How many are going to miss buffets? You know, I don't even know if they're going to come back. I have no idea. I'm hopeful because I love buffets. All you can eat, it's good. I can afford it. But it says that they were buffeted. They're being hit repeatedly by the violent waves. So they're straining at the oars in torture, it's too much to bear. They're in the middle. And it says this: it says, Jesus saw them. Jesus saw them. He watched on a mountainside them go painfully through this storm as he prayed. So the mountainside where Jesus was praying, they say that you could you'd have like a direct line of sight to the sea where the where the disciples would be would be going through the storm. Now I think there's something here. I don't know what Jesus was praying about on that mountainside, but I wonder if when he was on that mountainside praying, he was interceding for the disciples going through this storm. I I tend to believe that this is a little bit of a a picture, of a foreshadowing of how Jesus intercedes for us today. The Bible says in Hebrews that Jesus is our high priest. Now, the high priest is someone that, that was a mediator between the people and God. Once a year, the high priest would go into the most holy place in the temple and offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people. They were the ones that would go in and offer this sacrifice. Now, because of the sacrifice Jesus did on the cross, we no longer need to perform those sacrifices to cover our sin because he is the perfect sacrifice. And the Bible says that he acts as our high priest, sitting at the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf. And so I wonder if in this moment, as he's on the mountain... That he's watching them and interceding and praying. Now here's what you need to see in this. Just because they didn't see Jesus in their storm didn't mean that Jesus didn't see them. Just because you can't see Jesus when you go through what you go through doesn't mean he's not watching over you. Just because you can't see Jesus in the middle of your circumstance doesn't mean that he's not watching over you. Doesn't mean that God isn't up above looking down interceding on your behalf. And we have as believers, as followers of Jesus, as children of the Most High, we have comfort in knowing that when we face things, Jesus sits beside God praying, interceding as our high priest. So they're in this storm and he's watching. He's watching them strain in pain. Now some of us have this theology that is not really evident in scripture where we erroneously believe that because we're followers of Jesus, because we believe in God, that we're not going to face difficulty. We, we think that because God is on our side, that everything will be perfect and peachy keen. And the problem with that thinking, and the problem with that, that ideology, I'll call it, it's not theology, I'll say it's a wrong theology, is that when we actually face something, our, our faith falters, And our belief in God begins to falter because we think that because we're facing something, God must not exist or he's not for us or he's not with us. But we don't see that in scripture. What we actually see in scripture is that the struggle produces something in us that God wants to produce. It says this in in Romans chapter five, verse three, Paul said, we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. How many know that? You've been through something, you persevered, and you came out stronger on the other end. Right? It says this, Paul said this in Romans chapter 8. He says, we share in his suffering and also, in order that we may also share in his glory. It says in James chapter 1, consider it a pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. How many of you look at your situation or your problem that you go through sometimes and you don't you don't look at it as a joy? I don't look at it as a joy. This is not joyful. I don't feel joy right now. I'm not I'm not overwhelmed with a sense of happiness. But he says, consider it a joy because what is produced in you, in the pain, in the torture, as you strain at the oars, as you go through your storm, is something that can be used for God's glory. Godliness character, endurance. And if you don't know this, your faith in God is not a a 100-meter sprint. It's not a dash where you get to run and you're done within a couple minutes, seconds. It's a marathon. You need endurance. You need perseverance because even Jesus said, in this world, you will have what? Trouble. You're going to face trouble. We're going to face difficulty. We're going to go through storms, So we cannot grip this this theology that says, because I got God, I'm good. Yes, because you got God, you're good, but it doesn't mean you're not going to go through the stuff. Jesus made them get into the boat. Jesus knew they were going to face the storm. He made them go through the storm. Are you catching that? Jesus made them get into that knowing that they would face what they face. Because what produces... What was produced in them would prepare them for what awaited them. And if you know anything about the story of the gospel and the disciples and into the book of Acts, as later they would face incredible opposition. They would would face beatings, and they would face ridicule, and they would face jail time. All of the 12, most of the 12 disciples were martyred for their faith. So them going through this momentary difficulty, producing them something that would prepare them for the later challenges they would, they would experience. So they're straining at the oars. You know, my boys, um, they're back there, and they both learned how to ride their bikes this year. Can we just shout out to my boys? Hi, boys, they're not even paying attention. They learned how to ride their bikes this year. And, uh... When they were riding their bikes, they desperately didn't want me to let go. They desperately wanted me to hold on. But the moment we took off those trailing wheels, even if there was a little wobble, there were lots of falls, there were lots of bruises, lots of scrapes, lots of owies. And almost, actually for both of them, yeah, every time they fell down, they did not want to get back on that bike. (laughs) But I compelled them with force. I, I probably didn't compel them. I just made them get back on the bike. Because I knew that that as they got back on, they were gonna learn the balance of the bike. They're gonna learn the sway. They're gonna learn to utilize their body a little bit more and rest on their legs to, you know, versus the training wheels. That what would be produced in them would be something that is worth it. And now they both ride up and down the street almost every day for probably hours a day because they pushed through the hardship. We learn and we grow in the struggle. And when we walk with God and we lean on him in those times, what is producing us is something for his glory. Pain is a valuable teacher. Do you know David was able able to face Goliath because he'd faced Goliaths before? He, He squared off and faced off against a bear, against a lion. So when he faced Goliath, even though the rest of the army cowered in fear, he's like, I've been here before. And the one I faced wasn't, wasn't a man, it was a wild beast. What, what David went through in his earlier seasons prepared him for that season. By exposing the disciples through this, they were trained for the later, later difficulties, and so Jesus watches. Jesus watches. Now it says that there, shortly before dawn, that's when Jesus came out on the water. You know, they're likely at this for hours if you think about it. So he feeds the, uh, the thousands of people with the few loaves of bread and a couple fish, multiplies it, blesses it, feeds the thousands of people. It says it was later on in the evening. And then he made the disciples get into the boat. And then it says shortly before dawn, he went out on the water. Other translations say the fourth hour of the night. That's anywhere between 3 and 6 a.m. So it's possible that the disciples are straining in this storm for anywhere from six to nine hours when you think about it. They're going through this for a long, long stretch. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever rowed before. I don't row often, but I can imagine that doing that in a storm is pretty difficult. I've I've done the rowing machine at the gym. I could probably last a few minutes, and then I'm good. I'm like, oh, that's a little torturous. I can feel that. I'm going to give up. Does anybody feel like they've been going through something for a long time? How about COVID? Is anybody done with COVID? Like... Does anybody feel like we've been straining at this oar for a little too long? Right? Am I alone in this? That's usually when, when we want to give up in those times of or We want relief, right? We want someone to tap us on the shoulder and say, okay, tag, I'm in. They're at, they're at this in the middle, straining against the intensity, and that is when Jesus came six to nine hours into their struggle. That is when he came out on the water. Now, they didn't know when he would come. I don't even think they knew if he would come. It's not like he's like, go on ahead. You're going to face a storm. Don't worry. I'm going to come walking on the water. You're all going to be terrified. I'm going to come. It's going to be good. Then we're going to get on the other side. We're going to have some good ministry. That's not what Jesus said. He just said, go on the boat. I'll meet you there. And so they're in the middle of this. They're straining. And Jesus comes out walking on the water. God's timing is designed to teach us to trust him. God's timing is designed to teach us to trust him. We often don't like his timing. So we find ourselves in this and we're like, okay, I'm ready to give up. Where are you? So I'm, I'm teaching my boys how to ride the bike and I'm holding on to the back of the seat, right? They got no training wheels and I'm kind of running along with them as they're going. Now, if there's a little bit of a wobble, parents, if you taught your kids how to ride a bike, you know this. If there's a little bit of a wobble, I kind of let it wobble. I wanted them to feel it, Right? And almost always, they'd be like, Daddy! And they'd put their foot down. You weren't holding on. And I, would, I literally would say, I was right here the whole time. I got you. Trust me. I wanted them to trust that I was there. Now, a lot of times, guys, gonna be honest, a lot of times, I let go and I let them fall. You're like, you're a terrible parent. No, I'm a good parent. Because I'm a bad parent doesn't let their children fall. But when they learned how to fall, they learned I was there to pick them up, help them scrape off the dirt off their knee, and go right back on that bike and get through. They had to learn to trust my timing. There was times, most of the time, I caught them before the big falls. Unless they got too far ahead, or you know, it was one of those like jerk moves where all of a sudden they turn this way, and they're falling that way, and I was prepared to catch them this way. God's timing isn't always designed to comfort us. God's timing is designed to teach us to trust him, even if that means falling first. It's to learn to trust that he'll come. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says, for just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. We learn that the comfort of God is knowing that he's with us, not that he stops the pain. So Jesus comes out to them after hours. He's about to pass by them. And when they see him, they begin to fear. Now, we've heard this story. If you've been in church for a long time, we've heard this story so many times that we don't think this is crazy. But somebody walked on water. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I haven't. So I think I would fear too. If I would see it, I'd actually start to speculate. I'd be like, well, maybe there's glass underneath the water. It's like one of those magicians. you know? They're... When I was a little kid and I heard this story, I used to try, to try to walk on water. I would literally sit there like on the edge of a beach and be like, I got faith, I got faith. And I'd step up and be like, oh, I don't have faith. I got faith, I got faith. Because walking on water is miraculous. People don't do this every day. You guys ever walked on water? I've never walked on water. So they see Jesus coming out in this story, walking on the water, And they begin to get terrified. They're already straining against the oars. They probably got no energy left. They're exhausted. And now there's a ghost walking on the water. In fact, it says when they saw him, they thought he was a ghost. Here's a man who claims to, who can calm storms, who who heals the sick, who raises the dead, who multiplies, multiplies food to feed thousands. And now he defies the laws of gravity. Who is this guy? Now you got to remember, if you've been tracking along with our series through the book of Mark, that Mark is actually writing to answer a bunch of questions on how Jesus becomes the Jewish Messiah. He's writing, the first half of Mark is literally written almost to address the question, who is Jesus? And so these disciples, they see him walking out on the water. He's defying the laws of nature. Do you know that you can defy the laws of nature if you wrote the laws of nature? So they're, they're, they're in the boat. They're straining at the oars. Here comes this man out on the water. And it says this. It says, he says, take courage, it is I. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back up. They fear. They were terrified. And it says they cried out in fear. Now, this cry is what you need, you need to catch. If you don't catch anything from day, you need, to, you need to listen to this one thing. This cry that they cried out is not a cry of prayer. It's not a cry of faith. It's a cry of fear. And in fear, that was enough to bring the instant response of Jesus to their need. Their cry of fear was enough to draw the instant response of Jesus. And he immediately, it says, he immediately spoke to them, take courage, it is I. It is I. Now, I don't know if you know what that means. But somebody said that a long time ago. It was back in Exodus when Moses first encountered God in a burning bush. God did, gave himself the name I am. So in this moment, as they're in fear and Jesus is walking on the, on the water, he says It is I. Who is with you in this storm? God. In a moment, Jesus reveals to them a little bit more about his nature. That he's not just a man, but he's God. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you're a a believer, you're part of the family of God, you do not weather the storms of life alone If if you are a follower of Jesus, you do not strain against the pain and the torment of life's difficulties alone. God is with you. Because you're part of the family of God, your cries to Him, even when they're not in faith, draw His immediate response. Come on, somebody. Because you're His child and He loves you, they're in fear and they cry out. And the immediate response of Jesus is, It is I who's with you in this storm. He's saying, God is with you in this storm. That's why I can walk on water. That's how I can come to you. Now it says this. It says that he climbs into the boat and the wind dies down. He gets into the thick of it with them. And the storm ceases. And they're dumbfounded. They've witnessed Jesus do miraculous things. They've seen Him heal people. They've seen Him raise the dead. They've just seen Him multiply food so there's even leftovers for tomorrow. Now they're seeing Him defy the laws of gravity. And they're dumbfounded. They don't get it. They've even been in a storm before, Mark chapter 4. They've been in a storm on the sea. With Jesus sleeping in the boat. Jesus taking a nap. They're so terrified of this storm. They wake him up and they say, don't you care if we drown? And what's he do? You know the story. Jesus gets up. He rebukes the wind and the waves and it all calms and ceases. They've been in a storm before. They've seen what he can do. And they're still shocked. It says this, because their hearts were hardened. They didn't understand about the loaves. Hard-heartedness is the lack of spiritual perceptivity to be able to discern the work and power of God. It's the lack of readiness to learn in spiritual things. And it stems from a little desire and action to grow your faith and lean into a relationship with Jesus. They weren't able to discern what Jesus could do in this storm because they failed to learn through the storms they had faced before. They would failed to see what he, his power had, had accomplished before. And so they not, could not apply that prior knowledge to this present circumstance. I, I'm going to guess that most, when I look out in this crowd, I know many of you. I know what you've been through. You've been through circumstances before where God has revealed himself. The problem is sometimes we have a lack of spiritual perceptivity. We cannot discern the power of God and be able to take the the prior situation, see what God did there, and apply it to a present situation. We all of a sudden think, this one's different. The God who did this couldn't do this one. That's not the God I serve. The God I serve has no limits. If If we believe the Bible to be true... That God can speak and life exists. I was talking about this with my boys the other day that He literally opened His mouth and stars filled the sky. If we believe that to be true, do we not think that He's able and capable to, to look at our situation and do something about it? It's hardness of heart, it's a lack of readiness to learn, to discern. The disciples failed to take what God had done through Jesus in the past and apply it to this present situation. Now imagine they'd done that. Imagine how they would weather that storm. This experience would have looked different. Let me put it simply this way. They're so busy trying to get out of the storm that they failed to miss what God was trying to teach them through the storm. I want to invite you to stand. We're going to sing a chorus of that last song we sung, Waymaker, because we believe He is the Waymaker, that He's a miracle worker, that He's a promise keeper, that that is who He is. So what I want us to do as we sing this song is I want us to actually put in, put into practice opening our hearts, leaning into the Spirit so that we can receive from Him. So that when we go out from here and you face a situation, you go through a difficulty, you're able to stand with faith and belief, understanding the power of God because you've allowed him to fill your presence and fill your heart. So all over this place, the team leads us in this Waymaker song. Would you close your eyes and just worship and receive the presence of God so that we cannot be like these disciples who fail to understand? Hallelujah. Let's sing together. Hallelujah, God. You are here,
1: moving in our midst, I worship you, I worship you, you are here, working in this place. Come on, all over this place, let's just begin to worship you. Waymaker. Here it is. Come on, sing this part out. You are Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. He makes a way in every Mm, storm. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. Come on, let's sing that again. We make a miracle worker, promise keeper, light Light in in the the darkness. darkness. My God, that is who you are. That is who you are. Mm -hmm. We make a miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. You are here, touching every heart. I worship You. I worship You. You
0: are here, healing every heart. Come on, open yourself up to Him. Open up your I mind. Open you. up your heart and let Him fill you. Focus in on Him. Focus in on Him. You are here.
1: I worship you, yes, I worship you, you are here.
0: to give you this to you again. Here it is. Following Jesus means walking in obedience to his commands and decrees even when we don't know the outcome. Just because you can't see Jesus in your situation doesn't mean he doesn't see you. He intercedes for you. Number three, God uses the struggles of our life to teach us and prepare us for what's ahead if we trust and lean close to him. God's timing is designed to teach us to trust him, designed to strengthen you even through the fall. And hard-heartedness is the lack of spiritual perceptivity. We need to open our heart to who he is so that we can weather the storm. Knowing that even if we are facing straining against the oars in pain and in torture, that he's gonna come through Now, he may not take you out of the storm. He may not even con the storm. But he's with you in it. And he'll see you through it. And that is the promise I believe to every person who calls on the name of the Lord. That is the promise to every person who calls on the name of Jesus. I want to pray for our hearts. I want to pray that we gain an awareness to God's presence that, that our hearts would be softened and that we would look to him in those moments because the reality is some of us here today might not be facing anything we might feel life's pretty good but there, if you have been around life long enough we, we know that we all go through stuff so would you bow your heads with me Lord we believe in you that's why we're here we believe that you sit on high that you're God of gods that you're Lord of lords that you're King of kings and we bless you. And would you just allow your presence, Father God, to so touch our hearts as to soften them. Lord, I can preach with passion and boldness and conviction, Lord, but ultimately you're the one that does the work in hearts. So every person, God, that's that's tuning in online, watching this later, listening to it in a podcast or here with us today, in the name of Jesus, would you allow your presence to touch our inner being in such a way as to soften us and open us, God, to who you are, to your power, to your, to your ability. In the name of Jesus, let us, God, not just look at the things we face and go through survival mode, but let us approach what we approach, God, learning that you wanna teach us and mold us and shape us into somebody who is better prepared, God, for what awaits, better prepared for what you have in store for us, David could face Goliath because he faced a bear. That he could face the bear because he faced a lion. In the name of Jesus, God, be with us. Strengthen every person here. Lord, there's people that are that are tuning in, and there's people that are that are even in this space right now that may not share the difficulty that they're going through, but they're going through something. And I know that you know. You know every person. So would you, God, show up in the middle of their storm? Just as you appeared walking out on the water to the disciples, God, it was evident to the disciples that you were there in that moment. Would you show up in the middle of people's situations so that it would be evident that you are real, that you're there, that you're gonna work some power in the name of Jesus. Lord, and we just bless you for your goodness, for your faithfulness. We pray that your hand will continue to be upon us you guide us and lead us as only you can we love you Lord in Jesus name we pray in Jesus name we pray in the name of Jesus we pray and everybody shouted come on everybody shouted amen Amen. listen thanks for being with us today thanks for for hanging out Um, next week we have our in person service so I believe the the opening of the registration form will be tomorrow. Sign up. If you are not a part of a life group, you're not doing community, join a life group, do community, or get involved. If you're new, go to weareparkway.com slash next steps or newer to our community and fill out our Connect card. Um, I just wanna know who's, I was talking to somebody, it's so hard in this time to really know who's in our church. Like I, we know, but it's just so hard. And even going into in-person services, like we're not going to see everybody all every week. Some people are going to, you're probably, I don't know where the what camera is. Somebody's probably tuning in just online all the time. So go to weareparkway.com slash next steps. Fill that out. Let us know. October 4th, I'm going to say it again, food drive. Let's fill neighbor NeighborLink's pantry because you may be weathering the storm really easily, but somebody might be struggling just to make ends meet and get some food on their plate. Let's fill that pantry up. Amen? Hey, listen, may God bless you. May he protect you and watch over you. And may his favor and his blessing shine upon you. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.